Welcome to Before the Applause, the Fringe of Colour podcast. I'm Brianna Pagato, the creative director of Fringe of Colour Films. Edinburgh-based Fringe of Colour was set up in 2018 by our founder and technical director, Jess Bruff, to support Black and people of colour creatives throughout the August festivals. Last year, we launched our online film festival, and as part of that programme, we commissioned a collection of new work by some talented artists. To celebrate those films, we are revisiting conversations with the filmmakers. In the podcast, we delve into the creators' intentions, creative processes, and what it meant to be part of our festival. We spit some truths about the arts and entertainment industries, and we refuse to take ourselves too seriously while we do it. In this episode, I chat to Nish Kumar, a British stand-up comedian and radio presenter. He has hosted BBC Two's The Mash Report, BBC Radio 4 Extra's topical comedy show Newsjack, the Comedy Central series Droll and Niche vs. The World, the BBC Radio 4 programme The News Quiz, and Hello America on Queeby. For the film, Niche and Trouserless Conversation, here is the following audio description. Nish, a British-Asian comedian, interviews Sanjeev Bashakar, a pioneer of British-Asian comedy who starred in Goodness Gracious Me, Desiree Birch, a black American comedian who won the 2015 Funny Women Award, and Rose Matafeo, a New Zealander comedian who became the fifth woman in stand-up to win the Edinburgh Comedy Award for Best Show in 2018. Throughout the film, Nish leads his interviewees in conversation about their craft and careers, coaxing them to share their lived experience in an industry where their voices are in the minority, yet growing in strength. Nish and Trouserless Conversation. Before we get started, or maybe even as my first question, do you have pants on today? I, I, out of respect for you and this fine organisation, I've put some trousers on, okay? <laughs> I'm wearing trousers, but I'm wearing my pyjamas, so it's a, it's a half seas, I think, right? I'm, I'm wearing tracksuit bottoms. Let's okay. not go. I'm not, I'm not in a sort of tuxedo trousers from the waist down. I'm not wearing a t-shirt on top, tuxedo trousers from the waist <laughs> down. Let's, let's not go crazy here. I'm, I'm still wearing tracksuit bottoms yes okay well then that's okay I don't know about you but I've gotten into this pattern now and I won't date us by saying how far we are into this pandemic but I've gotten into this pattern now where I'm all out of bed and I have two jumpers that I alternate so depending on the day that you see me I'm either wearing (laughs) the gray jumper or the red jumper and people that work with me every day now are like oh we know what time of day it is because you're still wearing the jumper you slept in last night aren't you (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i do not share my secrets so i will not tell (laughs) it's a gray jumper for the benefit of the listeners i can see the jumper it's gray it's a gray jumper today well nish it's such a pleasure to have you on today and why don't you tell us what's the name of the film and for our listeners it'd be really great if you can tell us a little bit about the film and setting the scene for us so when we start watching this film what are we shown at the very start well, the film is called Nish Kumar in Trouserless Conversation. And, I mean, as titles go, it surely must whet the appetite. It, it, I guess it either whets the appetite <laughs> or dries the appetite 
to a sort of arid desert. It just fills your mouth with sound immediately. <laughs> the concept of it effectively was sort of born out of where we were last summer um, in terms of, you know, I was having a lot of conversations with people on Zoom. When Jess told me about the idea of doing a Fringe of Colour online platform thing where people were going to be making films, I thought that's very interesting and exciting. I, I thought one of the things that I would be nice to do would be to share stories of artists of colour, really comedians of colour, because those are the people that I'm friends with. And so it would have been easiest for me to book. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting to share how artists of colour, like their story of how they got into whatever it is that they were, whatever bit of uh, comedy they'd ended up getting into. And so I just uh, started phoning around. And to be fair, everybody was very enthusiastic, by the, enthused by the idea of it. Um, and so I conducted these conversations, which basically it transpired in one of the conversations that I was not wearing trousers because it's a pandemic. And I don't think I should have to explain myself to anyone. But it sort of transpired quite quickly that I was not wearing trousers. And so that as an idea for a film, it felt like a very strong concept, um, a, a way of uh, hooking in what we were talking about. It was out of a desire that I had to share some stories of people you might see on the television who are incredibly successful and how they got into whichever bit of comedy they got into. And the title itself came from the fact that I don't think any of my trousers fit with, fit me anymore. I can relate. I can relate because I've been going through this liminal space of my body changing and I keep ordering trousers and I never used to order things online and they're being delivered and I couldn't try them on. So I don't know if they're the right size. And of course I try them on and ultimately they don't fit. And then I go through this awful process of going to the post office and the poor woman there who's so lovely, who refuses, refuses to print the return labels, even though every other post office in <laughs> Edinburgh seems to do this, but mine looks at me every time and is like, are you here again? What are you doing here? Are you here again? And I just look at her like, please help me. I'm just trying to find clothing for the bottom half of my body. <laughs> this is all I want. So I deeply relate is what I'm getting at with this. Um, okay, so you've told us that you interviewed a couple of comedians of color. You wanted to hear about how they got into their work. And I was really struck by all of their very different journeys to this point in their lives in comedy. So could you tell us a little bit about who you interviewed? And yeah, you, you told us why, but why were you curious about hearing their stories and hearing their journeys? Well, the first person I interviewed was Sanjay Basker, uh, who is a, a friend, but is also somebody who I looked up to my entire adult life, really. Um, I saw, um, I think we talked about this in the film, but I saw Goodness Gracious Me on television when I was about 11 years old. And then I saw them live at the Hackney Empire, which is the first live comedy show I ever went to see when I was about 13 years old. Goodness Gracious Me was, I don't even know, like, 1977 punk sex pistols year zero for british asian comedy fans you know i'd grown up watching comedy i didn't know that people who looked like me ever did it and then not only were they doing it but they were doing it in this really assertive way and they had a real you know i i think at the time we didn't understand 
the ramifications of the show being called Goodness Gracious Me, you know, and the the idea that Peter Sellers had done these movies in the 70s where he was playing an Indian guy and, you know, he had a sort of, I mean, a real sheen of <laughs> brown face paint in some films that have, let's be honest, not aged well. <laughs> I, I guess I had no idea. For my parents watching it, it must have felt incredibly empowering because they had taken the title from that and they'd even taken one of the songs from that and had Nitin Sawney sort of do a kind of Bhangra remix of it. And so right from the beginning, the statement was being made that this was uh, Asians taking control of why people were laughing. So if you knew all of that, it did all of that. But if you didn't know all of that, it still did all of that programming on you by the content of the sketches and the tone of the and the tone of the comedy. Um, and so I just selfishly really wanted to talk to him about his career. I, I you know, I, I assembled bits and fragments from reading different interviews and from talking to him over these because then I actually sub- my one of my first jobs in TV was writing for the reboot of the Kumars uh, in I think 2013. And so I've worked for Sand and Mira a little bit, and I know them both a little bit, and I was just I was really curious to just speak to him and see how, and, and, you know, the shape of his career is so interesting, you know, and now there's a whole generation of people that know him from like quite a serious ITV drama about people getting murdered, you know, like there's a, there's a whole group of people now that know him from Unforgotten. And so I was really interested in the arc of, of that career. And, and also I really wanted to know about how they got started because, you know, the, the mid nineties was a very different, cultural environment largely because of what they subsequently achieved things moved on and changed by the time I started but the mid-90s were a very different time period for people starting in the arts if you were an artist of colour I mean it's there just wasn't British Asian comedy at that point it just didn't really exist in the same way Um, and there was a sketch show called The Real McCoy which was a black British sketch show and that was like one of the few things you know, that was exciting in of itself. But really, most of the comedy we absorbed was African-American comedy. Like, that that was the comedy that we were all, like, Asian kids were into in this country. There's, like, a great... The, one of the hardest things to talk about as an Asian is when people talk about cultural appropriation and how terrible it is. And for British Asians my age, we're always like, yeah, it's so terrible, in the back of our minds, knowing we were the ultimate cultural appropriators. We were the ultimate British Asian kids in the early to mid 90s invented a cultural identity out of uh, the first couple of Snoop Dogg records and Chris Rock stand up comedy. That was basically how we invented (laughs) it. And goodness gracious me, even picked that up. There are sketches by two characters that refer to themselves as the Bangra Muffins who have an idea of Asian identity that's like bits of Hindi slang and then like jamaican patois <laughs> like it, they they actually goodness gracious me lasered in on that specific trope and idea that's really brilliant though and i just wanted to quickly pick up on the, on the cultural appropriation point there because when it comes back to what you just said about the 90s being a very different cultural landscape especially for people of color in britain and how because of this piece of work because of this comedy it moved on 
you know, when there's such a lack of representation and the only other people of color you see might be African-American or might be from a Mm. different culture, but that's all that you have. The power dynamic there around whether or not it's cultural appropriation, yes. But in terms of what you had to work with, it completely makes sense. And to see how beautifully that was then blended into the skits and the sketches and what became that show and that piece of work is really important. What was it? What did it mean for you to be part of Fringe of Color? You know, was had you made a film before? Was this your first experience of doing that? And if not, what did it mean to be part of Fringe of Color? I've never done anything like that before. I've done bits of interviewing for BBC Two arts programs, but certainly I've never done something where I, you know, I was I had so much control over who I was talking to. Um, I may have boxed myself into a very dangerous corner with Fringe of Color uh, because I have uh, on several occasions said to the organisation, that I will do literally anything they ask me to do. And I'm concerned that that one day, oh, may, that may one day take the form of you people asking me to kill somebody. I haven't, I maybe have not. No, thought, we've never. We've never. <laughs> I've not, we've never. I've not thought this through. I don't know what you guys might have in plan. But I, to me, it's the most exciting thing because I love Edinburgh. I love the Fringe. I love the city. I've been going since I was 21 I've done the full run 13 times and I love it. It's so important to me that people understand that the fringe is for everybody, regardless of your background. It's an arts festival. It's not a rich white people jamboree. And that this festival sometimes can do that. Things have changed so much. You know, I always think that the posters during the fringe in Edinburgh are such a visible sign of where comedy particularly is at because so much of the city just gets absolutely plastered in comedians faces and in 2006 the first year I went it was pretty much Reg D Hunter like that was pretty much the only non-white face that was visible in that way and now when I go up I just see more and more people of colour being visible at the festival and I think an organisation like Fringe of Colour is so important because it exists to remind people that the fringe is for everybody, regardless of your socioeconomic background. And improving access to Edinburgh is something that I am incredibly passionate about um, because I think it is for everybody. And the quality of shows and the variety of shows is only going to improve if you make sure that people understand that. Fringe of Colour Films was born out of a concern for Black artists and artists of colour being left behind during the global pandemic that has changed the shape of the art world, potentially irreversibly. Our festival continues to change shape and form, depending on the needs of our artists. This is more important than ever before. Fringe of Colour Films is running online from the 1st to the 15th of August, but these podcasts will be available indefinitely. You can find more information at fringeofcolour.co.uk. This podcast has been presented and produced by me, Brianna Pagado, produced and edited by Helena Rafai. Audio descriptions are by Mackenzie Woodyard. Music by Kayla Bazuma Nelson. Thanks for joining us.